I first learned of Scott Carney as he was writing his 2016 book, What Doesn't Kill Us, the story of Scott being commissioned by Playboy magazine to write an article debunking the cold water, deep breathing Iceman, Wim Hof. Scott went to Wim's training center in Poland. His intention was to get into the depths of Wim's cold water immersion therapy and deep breathing methods to reveal the cracks and fallacies of the practice. And this was Scott's specialty. He was on the heels of his 2015 book, The Enlightenment Trap, then entitled Under the uh, A Death of Diamond Mountain. <clears throat> the book explores the cult-like practices of adaptive, Americanized versions of Eastern religions, how gurus in the U.S. try to capitalize on enlightenment for their own finances and fame. For Scott Carney, a journalist and anthropologist who lived in India for six years, debunking myths is his specialty. So, back to those days at the Wim Hof Training Center in Poland. I can imagine Scott's bullshit detector on high. He immersed himself with other guests who were paying money to learn the Wim Hof method under the direction and guidance of Wim himself. Deep breathing sessions followed by cold water immersions and hiking up the nearby mountain in Poland wearing minimal clothing. Yet during Scott's time with Wim, sitting with Wim on his sauna bench, something unexpected and remarkable took place. Scott became a convert to the practice and the benefits of the Wim Hof method. Not a, hmm, this is interesting type benefit, but some deep, profound improvement in mental clarity, physical endurance, and overall, uh, quote, getting high on his own supply, end quote, as Wim says. Happy, healthy, strong. So Scott's Playboy assignment morphed into the book, What Doesn't Kill Us. The critic became the convert, and the foreword of the book is written by Wim himself. I started doing the Wim Hof method myself back around that time in 2016. It is such a natural extension to what we love, sauna and then cold plunging. It all just made sense to me. For decades, I would do push-ups on my dock in the morning in my northern Minnesota island lake cabin, and then dive deep into... Uh, our cold northern Minnesota lake, finding great meditative calm along the bottom of the lake, often just suspended above the bottom, down low in the depths, <clears throat> much as a big fish would do, in no hurry to come to the surface. This was my own Wim Hof method before I heard of Wim, Wim Hof. What doesn't kill us treats us to Intimate one-on-one -on -one connections with Wim, the crazy mastermind with several world records, yet arguably best known for beating back the flu-like effects from being injected with an endotoxin at a research hospital in Holland, all through the power of the mind, deep breathing exercises that help us control our autotomic nervous system, a feat that up until then medical science insisted could not be possible. What's even more significant is that after the scientists rode off the feet as Wim being a freak of nature, Wim himself trained a group of people not familiar with his method uh, for only a few days. Then this group was also injected with the endotoxin, and they all beat back the flu symptoms, just like Wim himself had done previously.
This study was remarkable. As Wim says, it has changed modern science forever. And you can read more about it in Scott Carney's book. Also, the book ends with Scott hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, the tallest peak in Africa, with Wim and some others. I won't spoil it, except to say that Scott and Wim make it to the top. And it is a crazy adventure, extremely well-written and funny. Then I recently heard Scott being interviewed by my friend Mindstrong Harvey on his podcast. Scott is great to listen to. He's got such a depth of knowledge, and he tells a really clear, interesting story uh, to support his knowledge without sounding pedantic or cocky in any way. He is interesting and interested. As a journalist, he is naturally curious. Needless to say, I'd like to hang out more with Scott Carney. Scott is happy to talk about his new book, The Wedge, and in this episode, we dive deep into parts of his new book. The Wedge, simply defined, is the space between stimulus and response. We sauna lovers know all about the wedge. When we toss water on the rocks and feel that heavy blast of lolu, we don't rush for the sauna door, but we close our eyes and take it in. In Finland, it is polite to shut up during this time. Actually, in Finland, it's probably polite to shut up most times. But when we create a wedge between stimulus, the blast of steam, and response, rushing out of the room, as we know, this is when magic happens. And same for the cool down. When we exit the hot room and immerse ourselves in ice cold water, the conditioned response is to yelp like a cocker spaniel and resist the cold. But we sauna enthusiasts have reprogrammed ourselves to embrace this feeling. We listen to the core, not our skin. Thank you, brain, for telling me to get out of this cold water. Yes, I understand that we, as humans, are conditioned to resist and active, uh, activate a flight response when we feel ice cold water. But we are on a different path now. We are embracing this cold as part of this wonderfulness of sauna therapy. Instead of all this chatter, now we have a simple word for this internal monologue, the wedge. We talk about the chapter in his book called Redline, where he and his wife go to Latvia for a long sauna ritual. And we talk about other examples in the book that help us understand the power of the wedge. Scott is one of us. He owns his own sauna and is often found chilling out between rounds outside his own backyard sauna retreat in Denver, Colorado. If you're like me, you'll be nodding your head up and down, page after page, while reading The Wedge. Scott has a way of saying what we feel and have felt for a long time. When we become under stress is when we are most human. Regarding hot-cold therapy, it is like lifting weights for our vascular system. It's especially nice to hear Scott's impressions of what is most misunderstood about sauna. Often, sauna is viewed as a post-workout routine. A sense of community is what is missing. We don't have to take sauna so seriously. We can have fun with sauna. I am super pleased to bring you this episode of Sauna Talk. Please welcome Scott Kearney.
This show is brought to you by Nice Mug. Nice Mug is the only mug made entirely out of ice. For more information, go to nicemug.com and enter the coupon code SAUNA for 10% off your entire purchase. So Scott, good morning. And um, you know, part of the Zoom thing that uh, that I'm kind of coming over to the dark side with is the ability to you know cast the net wider in a wider geography and be able to interview people. I mean, I would sure love it if you and I were sitting on your sauna bench or up here in Minnesota. But I want to thank you for coming on board in a virtual setting like we are this morning. So welcome yeah, to Sauna Talk. Absolutely. I mean, one of the issues with actually doing interviews in a sauna is that your equipment starts to melt at some point. I've, I've done some of these, um, what do you call them, Facebook live things. I, I don't know if you know what that is. Um, I've, uh, and I've had my phone up and it, it lasts about five minutes before it's like, yeah, I'm out. I am right done. Stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, on that, from a technology side, I used to bring my MacBook laptop on the floor in the hot room and I'd have a long mic with a you know, kind of a, a mid-tech uh, microphone and pass it on the bench back and forth. And then I have this college uh, assistant who's like, why don't you get one of these? And, you know, when you see like sports figures being interviewed by journalists in the locker room, the, the, the journalists got one of these little, little things like the size of two fingers, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've been using on the sauna bench. And I, I hold my, I insulate it with my, my hand and then I hold it between guests. And uh, that seems to work uh. out. Yeah, less is more in this in this technology world, you know. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I wanted to start from many different areas, but I I think for you, you know, a great spot to start is is the wedge. And you were kind enough to send me an advanced copy, and I'd like to read your inscription if I could for listeners. Sure. To Sauna Talk. So you write, Glenn. I love what you're doing with Sauna Times. <clears throat> get hot and get cold, Scott Kearney. So that's right. <laughs> yeah, man. So you've written a, a fair number of, of these inscriptions for folks. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I so this is my what's in my fourth book. And, you know, I have a, a you know, a pretty broad, wide reach. You know, I've, I've sold lots and lots of books, but there are some people who really are passionate fans. And I think it's really nice to be able to send people sort of personalized inscriptions. So I have. Uh, been trying my best and it's actually very difficult to do an individual inscription to every single person who orders a book because you know how many ways can you describe the wedge apparently over a hundred <laughs> um, and, and we're and we're gonna I'm gonna keep on trying to do that and you know it's funny that that when it's an interesting challenge for me as a writer to do um, new inscriptions every time because I sort of feel like I'm writing a whole new book in like one page and my terrible handwriting it's like my handwriting is almost illegible um uh inscriptions where i'm, I'm trying to sort of like eludicate ideas in new ways I'm, if i had been smarter i would have taken pictures of every single mm -hmm. one that i had taken well maybe you written. can reach back scott you know maybe you can reach <laughs> back and i'd be i'm honored that you sent me this and and it's a little bit like haiku i mean you only have so much space on the page yep. you mm -hmm. really have to boil down uh, and the essence of your communication, um, and yeah. so and so, I wanted it, to start with that as a personal thank you because it is a personal touch what you've done there for me. And also, you know, with this one, um, get hot and get cold. I think that's a very important 
um, sort of root concept in the wedge and in life in general is the contrast is so important. Whether it's mm -hmm. hot, cold, whether it's fear, joy, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, flow and unconsciousness or, you know, whatever it is, like these, these flipping between different states is really what makes us human. Is it's 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 because it's challenging our biology, it's challenging our minds, and it's pushing us into um, you know, you know, to be comfortable in different sorts of environments. And one of the reasons why saunas are so amazing uh, is is that, you know, how often do you hang out at 180 degree heat, right? How often does that happen in your life? And and you're in that environment at first it's usually very very pleasant right you know, get in and the the you're you're going for usually a colder area and then you're in this like 180 and you're like oh this is amazing and then you know i wear a sauna hat i don't know if you're a hat wearer but i wear like an insulating hat on my head and then you know probably about the 20 minute mark i'm like wait a minute i am sweating a lot and i'm having some trouble here and you have to make a decision um do i sort of like open the door and let more Cold air come in? Do I go out? Do I what? What, what do I do? And and uh, and that decision point is, you know, when humans are under stress, is is when we become the most human because those choices matter. Uh, and you know, we certainly don't go into the sauna too long because people have died, right? You know, people have died in saunas. They they do it all the time. Um, uh, but but there are these sort of inflection points where you have to decide well what is dangerous what is not dangerous and and what 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 am i going to be in this moment and i, I think i think it's a beautiful thing so i so after i first did my first real interesting sauna experience in latvia and i'm sure we're going to get to this one of the first things i did is i came back home and i bought a sauna for my backyard and uh, yeah i'm in it all the time i was in it just last night Right on, right on, same. <clears throat> and during this uh, lockdown period, have you found that you are taking sauna more frequently? And what is your sauna routine in terms of frequencies, uh, time of day, how many cycles, how many rounds, that, that sort of thing, cool down experience? Give us a quick little preview of that. Yeah. Um, I usually go in probably between, sometime between 3 and 7 p.m., um, you know, depending on the weather depending on the day showing how i'm feeling but yeah it's usually in the afternoons and you know when i first got it i was in there all the time you know at least once a day for like a month and i think i got it in i think i bought it in july you know june or july and uh, uh that was a mistake because i got real dehydrated <laughs> like chronically dehydrated because I, I didn't compensate with drinking enough water so nowadays i, I i'm trying to do it about three times a week that's really where I find my personal sweet spot is. And I'll stay in between 20 minutes at the minimum, at the most like an hour and a half, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all depending on what I'm feeling like on that particular right. day. And often my wife and I will go in together. Occasionally I go in, I'll, I'm a little bit more uh, likely to go in on my own. Uh, just, just I'll listen to like a podcast or something, you know, I'll just sort of like chill out. I've got, um, you know, I got my sauna hat on to, to insulate the brains. And then I'll, you know, we have like essential oils that we put on. We have a whole like shelf full of essential oils. And, uh, and I've learned that some are really awesome and some are terrible to put yeah. in. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just, ha I, I find it very relaxing. Um, it's really nice when you've had like a, um, you know, a slow cold day, you know? So I, my earlier book was called What Doesn't Kill Us, which is about the Wim Hof method, about me jumping into ice water and like going from this, oh, you got that one too. 
from the Shit, library, yeah, no less. Awesome. <laughs> well, look, I, I had this and I gave it to a friend of mine. And then when you and I began, when you sent me this, I'm like, holy shit. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I'm going to start with the, you know, I'm going to start with the pandering here, the Scott Carney pandering moment here. But I, nice. I so enjoyed this book that I, I got this from the library again and gave this. I thought I would skim this, you know, for our read mm -hmm. or for our visit today. But I ended up basically rereading this one the second nice. time. So I'm sorry awesome. to interrupt, but keep going. Oh, yeah, no worries. So there, like there's two types of cold right uh, the way I see it. Right. There's the there's the fast cold, which is you, you like from where you are right now, you go into a cold shower or an ice bath and you feel that cold transition very, very quickly. And then there's slow cold. Slow cold is like, you know, it's like 50 degrees and you're, you know, you're not all bundled up and you just, it's sort of a grinding cold. And, and, and I find fast cold, like the Wim Hof method is about fast cold. It's about going from warm to cold or, or like neutral to cold, controlling yourself in that. And, but you're only in the fast cold for like, five, 10 minutes, you know, you, you know, you don't need to be in there for an hour to get the benefits. It's, it's that quick transition between these two states. Um, slow cold, I find grating. Like, like mm -hmm. I, I, I understand how it's useful, but the sauna is like the most pleasurable thing ever after like a slow cold day. And it does something to the mind as well. When you're dealing with a slow cold day, just to know that you have a hot sauna in your own backyard that is waiting mm -hmm. for you. I think, you know, it's so much, so much in the wedge and we'll get to some of the, the, the mental aspects, the, the mind work, um, including the Wim Hof and all that. But for me, just knowing on a slow cold day that there's a sauna uh, available to me, the cold doesn't seem right. so, so penetrable or so, so such a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. You know, yeah, there's this idea of like there is respite. It's not only respite, but then it's like really hot, right? Then yeah. you go from sort of slow cold to like really pleasurable at first for the first right like on. five minutes, just yeah. awesome. And then, you know, you get to this point where the sauna is a little bit stressful. I mean, it's always easier than a cold ice bath, right? It's always easier than an ice bath. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I never really go above 200 in my sauna. Like, I feel like that's the upper limit of where mm -hmm. I would ever ever want to go but it's usually around 180 where i keep it at right on and uh yeah it's uh yeah they're 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 really you know they they you know they alleviate depression that's one of the coolest things i'm sure you've seen the research by chuck raison uh out of university of wisconsin where you know he correlates depression with an elevated body temperature so you know people who who are depressed have like basically a light fever and there's lots of correlations and i go into that in the wedge quite a bit for why that is but one of the the things that just about every circumpolar indigenous community ever um you know it doesn't matter what continent you're on uh, they all have like some type of sweat lodge or sauna tradition and they're used in part to treat depression uh, because you know when you you have an elevated temperature if you then blow the roof off that, off that temperature and you bring your body temperature way above so if you were running at like 100 and now you're running at you know, I don't know what your body in core goes to, but high, much higher than that. Um, you actually reset to a lower temperature, a more normal temperature after that. And so it becomes this great way to alleviate um, depression. And what Raison's research showed was that if you actually just correct someone's body temperature, the depression also goes away. Like if you treated somebody who was depressed with SSRIs, which is a serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, like your Prozacs and, and whatnot, um, your Lexapros, 
if you treat someone with that, then you test their body temperature, their body temperature has reset to normal. Mm. Uh, and that's, and, and, and so saunas can do the same thing to a person, uh, right which on. is amazing. Beautiful. <clears throat> I want to backtrack a little bit and get a little geeky with you. So, <clears throat> you know, I've been taking saunas for 30 years. I've been building saunas and I, I went back to the Mecca. It was like a pilgrimage back to Finland. And I came back with a couple of unique or a couple of really cool learnings. I just wanted to share with you as a, as a little digression. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned that you were sounding like crazy uh, and you got really like hot, dehydrated and tired and stuff, <clears throat> two, two thoughts uh, for you. Um, I realized when I was getting tired uh, in, with sauna and my, I was getting a little bit more tired in my backyard sauna in Minneapolis than up at the cabin where I'm at right now. I could take much more aggressive saunas without that post sauna fatigue. And I was trying to figure it out. And then it went on like a light bulb when I was in Finland. I, Scott, I took 50 saunas in 12 days in Finland and was escorted around by wow. a lot of pros, a lot of the real real like mm -hmm. heavy duty sauna people, but they introduced me to minerals and I'm like, ah, it, it was like yeah. a massive light bulb that went, went on because mm -hmm. what I realized is I was drinking two large 32 ounce Gatorade bottles of, of water in Minneapolis and it was from our reverse osmosis system. And I'm like, that takes everything out. So I was like basically drinking mm -hmm. non-mineral uh, waters and I was dehydrating myself, even though I was drinking a shit ton of water. Um, right. So I offer that as a as a thought. You can look, be looking yeah, at I minerals actually, and stuff. I use a mineralization solution at the end of my saunas. I, I have this some, some sort of like non sugar based electrolyte thing that I now doctor my water with. Right on. Um, yeah. uh, which does seem to be helpful. Yes. Um, for certain. But also, you know, I, I'm up fifty two eighty here, so I'm in Denver, a mile high, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just really easy to get dehydrated anyway. Just even just being in Denver, it doesn't matter how much water you drink, you're just right. dehydrated all the yes. time. Uh, yes. So uh, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but I, I certainly found the, the, my groove now. Yeah, um, right on. And the, and the other bit I wanted to share real quickly is about ventilation, and I've become a real nut for good ventilation, including the saunas that I'm consulting with and building now. Um, I, I was taken aback by how counterintuitive uh, good ventilation is to sauna because you would think mm -hmm. normally you want to really contain this heat, hold it down, you mm -hmm. know, and, and mm -hmm. build the, the core. You can do that as your sauna comes up to temperature, but so often um, it's counterintuitive in that a well-vented sauna actually feels hotter because it's akin to say mm -hmm. being on a frozen lake with no wind, you know, it, you can yeah. kind of deal with that, but the slightest breeze and you're like mm -hmm. super cold and, it's the opposite in a hot room where that little bit of circulation makes it feel even hotter, but uh, it really, where do you, um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's two vents in my sauna. Um, there, there's one right under the, the, the sort of electric coal thing, mm -hmm. um, the heating element. Right. And then there's another one in the back of the sauna and I just, I keep them both wide open. I believe Good. I think that right I on. don't really touch them at all. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've no idea. If you want to get nerdy, something on right? That, yeah, no, you're doing it right. If you want to get nerdy on that, like when you, uh, it's electric, right? You have an electric. Yeah, it's it's electric, right? Electric and then coals on it. It's a right Finlayo or something or other. Yeah, got it. So so when you flip the switch, uh, try next time just closing the vents, and when you're up to serving temperature, then open the vents, uh, and so you kind of you kind of like getting a good wood fired pizza oven going, or getting a you're mm -hmm. baking bread. You know, in other words, you got. You got a good heat mm -hmm. mass uh, that's very dense, and then you open those vents and you'll get good circulation. But 
But anyhow, I, I didn't mean to geek out on you, but that was something I learned from my trip over there is that is, uh, you know, is basically hydration through minerals and good ventilation uh, allow one to be a sauna madman a little bit, um, little bit better. Mm. So awesome. Right on. So, so I want to talk about the wedge and, and I, I just, uh, I, when I read the book and I think I told you this, I said like, finally, somebody's explained this very simply because I, I got to tell you that the, what I would do when I would bring people into sauna and you're absolutely right. Sitting on the, on the bench is very soothing and therapeutic, but how we choose to cool down, um, is where things can get shocking. And so I would always try to coach people jumping into our cold lake in here in northern Minnesota or be it an ice bath or a cold shower. I'd say, look, you know, you're feeling one thing, but don't freak out, like feeling versus freak out. And, and it was so parallel that you came up with this from a technical side. And I would like guests to hear it from, from your voice, um, the wedge stimulus the whole game i mean it, uh, you probably explained this sure. a million times and i could do it sure. if you want but you go if you're cool with it you yeah, go so, at it. so the question is what is the wedge and the easiest way to think about it is a way that we think of a lot of these meditative practices which is separating stimulus from response right we have the stimulus of the external sort of objective environmental stimulus whatever that might be and then there's the way that your nervous system reacts to that and you know we only have two nervous system pathways really it's sympathetic and parasympathetic sympathetic is fight or flight parasympathetic is rest and digest and our bodies really they, you can only be in one of those two states at, at, at any of the time and sometimes it's a mix usually it's a mixture of of the two right rest and digest when you're sleeping is the full-on and fight or flight is when you're actually fighting you're dumping all that adrenaline and cortisol but we do have some choice in how our bodies um select which pathway that we're going to we're going to be going on into and usually you know certain stimulus gives you sort of an objective of response the ice bath for instance puts you into fight or flight um, because it's your body senses it as a threat as imminent death you know it's all of these signals and so then your body is like okay i'm going to rise to the challenge i'm going to clench up and I'm going to release um, all these stress hormones that, that, that well, let me power through this environment. The thing is, and, and this is the beauty of the Wim Hof method, is that he says, well, no, you, you, that, that's just your emotions getting in there, right? That's, you know, that, that, and, and your emotions are interesting. Like an emotion is, is like basically your, your mind or your brain's, your brain telling your mind, uh, talking about sort of, predicting what the environment's going to, going to do to you in, in a way. And, and there's a very technical explanation for this in the book. And I don't know if I want to go all the way in because it's, you know, nerdy. Um, but, but essentially sensation and emotion get wired together in our brain. And you, you can say that you feel an emotion, but you can also sort of think it. And the emotions give us the, uh, the ability to sort of navigate the world. And, and you know, if, if, if it's just a sensation that comes in, it's just data. But that data doesn't mean anything until you, you, your, your mind sort of ascribes meaning to that. And the way we do that is with emotion. So I have this thing we call neural symbols. And everything that we think about, everything that we feel and, and even conceive of at like a highly abstract intellectual level comes from the combination of sensation and emotion uh, as like sort of the bits and bytes of consciousness. Um, I think I've described that as a in a little confusing way. Um, 
And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, you, you did not at all. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, I'll summarize it in, in a little, uh, well, I'll, here's, what I, here's what you've done to me, like just this morning. So I, I, I've done, mm -hmm. I do Wim Hof every morning and then I jump in the lake mm -hmm. and, and I, you know, I tell my, cause the lake is still really cold up here. So, you know, I just tell myself, and I've been telling myself this for years, but now I tell myself, just do the wedge, right? <laughs> so I used to yeah. tell myself, mm -hmm. oh, Hey, I know that I know that this feeling is cold, but just think how great it's going to be when you get out of off the ladder and stand yeah. on the dock. You know, so it's mm -hmm. sort of that re um, you you can trick your mind, much as you said. It's a it's repositioning. Right. So you don't think about that sensation. You think about how damn good it feels after, and you know sure. we all know that. You know, with the endorphins rushing. And you, and you also try not to fight it, right? Because there's no mm -hmm. one who's ever died in a minute in an ice bath, like uh, one minute in the ice bath, even 10 minutes, honestly, um, it's not going to kill you. No matter, you know, cause, cause honestly water, if it's liquid is over 32 degrees. Like we know this, right? That's the, that's the nature of water. And it, you know, you can only lose so much heat into that water. And while your body has this emotional response to be like, no, we're dying. You can tell your body, and this is what the wedge is. It's you tell your body, no, you're wrong. It's not something we need to be scared of. And you can do that by thinking how awesome it is or how awesome it makes you feel. But essentially you push yourself from that clenching fight or flight into that relaxed state. And the miracle is your body is like, okay, well, I'll find a different way to heat myself. Like, I'm not just gonna give up, right? Um, I'm not gonna just like, you know, let all the cards go and just you know, flop around and die. What I'm going to do is, is, you know, essentially you start burning white fat, like you go to a metabolic program and, um, you know, it's really cool and you can read all, you know, what doesn't kill us and I can talk about the chemistry in that. But, but essentially you've, you've also switched your emotional state and you've switched your emotional state in a stressful situation. And that, you know, that gives you these generalized benefits in life. Uh, at, 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 like the, over every aspect of it. Because if you can put yourself in a stressful situation and then say, this isn't that bad, <laughs> that, that, that alters your body because your body went from fight or flight, stressful situation means fight or flight, to actually now rest and digest, which changes the hormones that you're releasing. You know, if fight or flight's adrenaline and cortisol and rest and digest is like ghrelin and actually I'm not even sure what's on rest and digest, but it's a whole bunch of different sets of hormones and and then so literally that thought changes your interior chemistry it changes your interior biology and all the cells that you have in you all the bacteria that's living in your gut all of that stuff is now responding to a different set of stimulus that you've generated with your mind thank you thank you very much for that <clears throat> um it reminds me also like if you uh, sauna and hot and cold are just such a great way to train the mind so where I'm going with that is mm -hmm. uh, you have a group of people that are very well conditioned to hot and cold, say, and then um, something stressful happens, a car accident or some other thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell this from a personal standpoint, I'm, I'm less apt to freak out because I mm -hmm. immediately go into a very comfortable place to say, okay, stimulus. I get it. Something's yeah. freaking out, but I pause and mm -hmm. there's a gap there. Mm -hmm that you've explained mm -hmm. so eloquently. So it, it is a cognitive thing that you can apply to other areas of life, right? Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's not to say it makes you superhuman, right? I mean, you got in your car accident, you had a clear mind, you still had the car accident, right? So, so you know, this isn't like magic, but what it does do is, is gives you, it can give you a tool to give yourself clarity in a moment. And alternately, you know, the other thing that you can do, you, I, I talk about inserting a wedge a lot in the book. And what I didn't explicitly say in a sentence, and I'm sort of kicking myself for not do, doing this, but you can also remove a wedge, right? You can be like, okay, actually, I want to be automatic right now. Oh, okay. I want to go with exactly what um, my body wants to do. I don't want to question it because sometimes your body's right, you know? And, and so you can sort of decide to give it those things. So you're, so you're not questioning yourself. So you're not using that, 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 that gap, which is also a time gap because right? sometimes the mind gets in the way. And this is when I, we get into flow states. So I have this whole chapter about throwing kettlebells back and forth between people. And, and I didn't explicitly say it, but that is removing the wedge because I want your body to act automatically in stress uh, so that you just sort of go into flow. Uh, and that's the, and, that, and uh, you know, I still kick myself for not putting mm. that one sentence in the book. But uh, well, oh, well, is right. Well, there's a, there's <laughs> a so, Scott, I'm teeing the ball up for you, potentially for the, the follow up uh, book about when when. So the point is, is when by consciousness, by being able to understand the wedge, you can control the mm -hmm. wedge, how much you want to put mm -hmm. in or how little you, you want. But it's it's about learning a language it maybe about when mm -hmm. when you when it's time mm -hmm. to apply or and when when to accept. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's this, it's the stress and emotion and sensation. These are the grammar of our neurology, right? It's not the grammar of your mind. Your mind has, a, you know, usually we think, I think in English generally, but you also feel emotions and stuff. And, and, and so the wedge is the tool that we use to surf this sort of like structure of the brain and the knowledge of that structure, these feelings. Um, you know, even when you say feeling, right? I, I say, I have this, you know, I, uh, I, I'm feeling angry, right? I, I, you, we say this, right? Or I'm feeling love or, or whatever. It's interesting to, to note that we use that, that word because that's also the word we use to say, I feel cold, I feel hot. And so there's this connection, even linguistically, that we have between an emotion and, a, and, and just a sensation of the environment. And I think that's what was a very wise thing that happened, however English got formed. And, and likely, um, you know, I, I also speak Hindi, um, and we can get into that later, but also lagna is, is also the same thing. It's a feeling of an emotion, but it also I can feel cold. Um, so there's some sort of like root out there about, um, and what is it in Lo Siento? Is that in Spanish too? Now I'm going to go through all the languages I barely know and try to figure <laughs> out uh, if this is sort of like a universal concept is that feelings of, of sensations and feelings of the interior state are somehow connected mm. at, at the root of our being and culture. So we got to get into whim. We got to talk whim. When, when the book came out, I was probably, uh, I don't know, maybe eight months into my own uh, whim practice through the 10 week course and stuff. So it was, it's just mm -hmm. so great to see. I mean, you are on the forefront of, of his work. You, before, before the book, uh, what doesn't kill us came out, <clears throat> you had been doing the Wim Hof for about how long? Like when 2016, 2011. Yeah. 2011. Yeah. So I've been doing it since 2011. When I first met him in Poland, uh, I was the first journalist to take him seriously. 
you know, I, I, initially I was on a commission from Playboy to debunk him as a charlatan uh, because I had, you know, I had just written a, another book. It was called The Enlightenment Trap, and it was about how meditation can kill you essentially. And if people who get so caught up in the idea of superpowers and like spiritual explanations for rational events that they go crazy and bad things happen. And when I, I saw Wim, he's this dude sitting on an iceberg saying he can control his immune system and you know, do these what look like sort of crazy things. Um, I went out there, I was like, cool, this guy's going to, you know, get people hurt. And I'm going to go debunk him before he gets famous. Uh, lo and behold, his method works. My whole plan falls apart. And I am one of the very first people to help sort of make Wim famous. I mean, he did it. He's amazing on his own. Right. <laughs> right. But, but I, was, I was sort of one of the first people in there sort of talking about the, the, the benefits of this method. Um, and, uh, and since then, he's grown into sort of a global superstar. And it's interesting, though, I, I, I sort of need to put this out there now. So I wrote What Doesn't Kill Us. It came out in 2017. Uh, and, uh, and Wim was already getting to the point of sort of like global superstardom at that, at that point. And I think one of the messages in, in What Doesn't Kill Us, which I, I, I think comes out pretty well, is that Wim is a madman, right? He is crazy uh, and, and way out there. And he does things that are irresponsible and nonsense all the time. And at the same time as that, he's also a prophet. Like he has shown this door to something in your body that you can really take something valuable away from. So, you know, this madman prophet duality is like sort of central to what doesn't kill us. But I want to raise this point is that since this book came out, since Wim has sort of like, you know, sort of been on all the podcasts and sort of become more and more famous. He's on, you know, uh, Netflix shows with Gwyneth Paltrow and whatnot. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking at him as a prophet, right? Without that madman duality. And I think that's mm. actually dangerous. And I think it's really bad for Wim as yeah. a person too, because he's getting isolated and people now sort of take his word as gospel. Yeah. And, you know, he's still a madman, right? Yeah. He'll still... If, if you followed everything that Wim said, you're definitely going to die, right? Yeah. There's no doubt. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, a couple quick things to interject on that. And, and I agree. Like, I, it's, I think he's, um, he's taken a little backseat to the breathe motherfucker line. You know, he's, mm -hmm. he's had to soften his thing a little bit. Um, and, and that was, uh, you know, that line that he would use was really a, a spirit of his, of his madmanship, of unpretentious, mm -hmm. uh, free-spirited, um, I'm not out to be mm -hmm. the prophet, uh, motherfucker, just breathe. Right. <laughs> right? So he's, he's, yeah. it's unfortunate, right. you know, he's, he's had to do this. He's had to conform a little bit. Um, but his message is still so true and the, the breathing works so great. Now, one more bit on the madman. And, and right. I was literally laughing last night in bed and, and my wife turns to me, Julie, she said, what's so funny? What's so funny? And I couldn't get her started, but, but I, uh, I was, mm -hmm. I was revisiting what doesn't kill us, and and I would love for you to take us back to the hike in Mount Kilimanjaro, and and I and damn it if I can't find it, but the page I wanted to almost read it or have you read it, but you you it was exactly what you were saying where um, it was like the final hurrah, and you're like sitting there, and it's like should I stay back? Right. And Wim goes goes darting off, and then there you are, and he says, you know, you're saying to yourself, what am I doing following the steps of this madman, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's basically the, the plot here is, you know, we're climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro. The idea is to do it fast. Right. And, you know, I'm in 
basically a bathing suit this time. Wim has like a t-shirt and he has like a blanket over his back uh, and like bird shorts, as they were called, bright That's orange right. shoes. Um, they're all floating into my brain right now. And he, uh, he basically, uh, a lot of people said it, it is dangerous, right? It's dangerous to go at as fast as we, as we were doing and, and because of altitude sickness. And so we're using his breathing method to, to you know, sort of counteract uh, the dangers of altitude sickness. And, you know, we, we've made it up to the final ascent. I think we're at a place called Kibo Hut. And we're going to go, and then, and then it's like, you, you, you've sort of gone off this like sort of mild incline, and then you get to Kibo, and it's like, boom, you're going right up the cone. <laughs> Volcano at that point. And it's like, you, you go from like, sort of like, dirt and plains and sort of like loose and like sort of tight volcanic soil to basically you're climbing up rubble um for a, a long ways i don't know exactly how long but it's like straight up rubble and wim is looking at his watch he's like oh we got to get there before 30 hours is over we, we got to beat the record i'm not even sure what record he's talking about but he's like there's a record we got to beat it so and <laughs> um and he makes us skip lunch, which you have to understand. Like, it's not just like you skip lunch today. Like, it's like you're skipping the fuel. You're not gassing up your car in the race. And you're, you're doing it in a place where if you, if you fell unconscious, right, or you, you, if, you, if you bonked out, um, you're going to die of, of altitude sickness. Like, this is a dangerous thing to skip lunch on the final ascent. And, and at and that like, moment, no, we're doing you, it. At that moment, you said he turns bright red or something like that. Where, when mm. he makes this decision, okay, we're going to go now. Yeah. He, he gets he's all like angry, huffy, angry. Yeah. Right? He he's, gets fired he's angry. up. He's calling people, you know, names, <laughs> like the worst parts of his personality sort of come out. And, and he goes up and I think some, you know, like one or two people follow him. Right. And, and like our guides are like, no, you can't go. You're going to die. Like this is dangerous. And these are the guides who climb up there all the time. And, and, and so there's this mutiny and the entire group more or less stays behind. And we're like 20 ish people. I'm like, no, let's just, let's finish lunch and we'll go. And he's going up and I'm like, oh man, I got a book to write. And I'm looking at right. walk up the mountain. I'm like, fuck. All right. I'll follow him and I'm, but I'm pissed. Right. And so I like, I put on all of my clothes, like, like I'd been basically bare chested this whole time, but then I like pile on, like, I look like the state puff marshal, man. I've got like the puffy on and I put my wind pants on and I follow him and like, and we have this fight <laughs> he's yelling down. And he's like, Scott, don't you, you know, what was it? Like, don't you challenge me? And I'm like, Wim, you're an idiot. You know? Right. <laughs> and, right. and we go up and, and eventually it's me, one other dude, and Wim, and we're up, we're going up the mountain, and I'm sort of angry, and Wim is angry, and I, the other guy is like, the other guy's like a true believer. He's like, I will follow Wim anywhere, <laughs> which is also scary in its own way, right? So <laughs> we're going up the mountain, and, uh, and I see him slip. Right. This is the this is like the moment where I'm seeing like, you know, Wim is this guy that I've been following for a long time. I, I really respect him. I like I, I, I'm also a little skeptical of him, but I see him slip and I'm like, wait a minute. This guy is just as fallible as all of us. And like he's not a man who can who has no limits in nature, which I knew intellectually. But here's a sort of this tangible moment in front of me. And I'm like. So what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> and, and I realized that the reason I'm on this mountain, the reason I'm doing this challenge, is not really about whim. Whim opened the door, but it's about my climbing the mountain for me, right? And for whim, it should be about him and, and, and 
the dentist, the guy I'm with is for him. And it's all our own journeys. And it's really about our relationship with the environment. It's not the relationship with Wim. And I guess a more rational person would have been like, all right, Wim, you can go up and I'll just walk up in my own time. But I didn't do that. I stayed with him. And I took off my shirt. I couldn't get the wind pants off because the hiking boots were sort of too thick and whatever. But, and, and then I felt like, okay, this is my journey and I have limits and I, and I know where my limits are. And, you know, I, you know, there's places where I'm sort of falling down and, and whatnot, but, but, but there was this connection I had where it was with the environment. It was about the, the, the conversation that I was having with that wind on my skin. It was that conversation I was having with that sensation of cold on my skin. And it wasn't about thinking about the ideology of the Wim Hof method or anything. It was about the, the, the language that I'm having with the environment. And, and this is where the wedge is really, really important. I was like, I get to navigate that, right? I get to navigate my own sensations. It's not someone else telling me how to navigate my sensations. It's me. And this is the core of the wedge. This is the core of the book is because all sensation by definition is subjective, right? And the only objective thing to consciousness is that everyone has their own consciousness and it's, it's a totally subjective experience. And yet it's interdependent. Like my consciousness depends on my conversations with you and my you know, education and my mother and my dad and my family and all that stuff. Like all of that impacts the consciousness, but the sensations are the subjective feeling. And those subjective feelings actually change the way our biologies work. So, you know, in, in the wedge, I'm putting myself in different stimuli that are very hard usually, and then I'm controlling myself in that stimuli. And, and it makes, and, and I find that I'm quite resilient in different things. But the book is also not a recipe. Like you do these 10 wedges and you're going to be awesome. Blake Scott's awesome. I'm not that awesome. But like, you know, you, you become this awesome person. That's not what it is. It's to say, look, you respond in stress in different ways. And the stresses that you need might be different than the stresses that I need. The ones that call to you might be different than those that called me. And that's a-okay. Go find your own wedges, but, all, but, but, but be conscious that you need to push. You need to find the things where you, where, where, that are difficult so you push up against them. And, and, and touch them and play with them and use that to become even better. There's another element to you in these moments also as a journalist. And I just wanted you to share with listeners um, how you do this. Like when, for example, back to Kilimanjaro, when you go chasing after Wim <clears throat> under this extreme stress uh, and, and um, let's just back up on that just to, to let, us, uh, let us know. It's, it's really, you're doing the Wim Hof method. You're doing like 30 breaths. You're, you're tricking this altitude problem um, mm -hmm. by a ton of Wim Hof breathing to get you through. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where all the guides are saying, this is impossible and don't do right. it. Um, mm -hmm. And so you have this, in your, this on your mind. You have to be consciously deep breathing. You're in a very stressful spot where you're hiking up the tallest mountain in, in Africa. On top of all that, unlike these other 20 people that you were on this journey with, you have to remember all this stuff. And, and you know, I, again, I have to pander to you because it, it's just so well written, the story of you chasing after women, the whole Kilimanjaro element is just so well written. How do you do that? How do you layer on top of all of this stress in, in, on your body, uh, which is affecting your mind? How do you put yourself in a place to remember uh, what you've experienced so that you could put it down on paper. 
I mean, I've been a journalist for 10 years, so there's, so, there's an element of observing as you're going up. Uh, as I recall, uh, when I was going up, I journaled a little bit, I think. I have the journal right next to me over here. Um, I think I took some basic notes, like, remember this. And yes. it would be like one line, one line, like <laughs> wind slips or whatever, right? <laughs> right and, okay. you know, it was not like super detailed at that point. But then um, with, with that chapter, uh, basically I came down the mountain and we were in some um, hotel. I don't remember what it was called. Uh, and, you know, while everyone else was, I think they went on a safari. There were 20 people in the group. I think they saw elephants and rhinos and stuff, which would have been cool. But instead, I just sat down and that whole chapter I wrote in probably eight hours. And it's a 30 page chapter because I just was like, I'm going to write this right now. I'm going to write it chronologically. I'm just going to go A, B, C. Right. We're going to do the whole thing really quickly because if you don't get that, details will slip. Um, you know, you, and you know, my writing is a weird process. Like, I don't even know, like, Sometimes I know I have like a system, I'll do 500 words a day, but sometimes you just sort of vomit it out on the page and it's perfect. You're like, okay, I didn't, I didn't have to edit that. It just is right there. And, and the Wim Hof, that final chapter was just sort of like the vomit onto the page and, uh, and it appeared and you're like, cool, there it is. All right, send that out to the printers. Right, right. And what a great way to finish the book because it was the mm -hmm. culmination of, of that relationship at the time. Mm -hmm. To, to yeah, and that. it's actually the same way for the last chapter in The Wedge, too, where, you know, I'm also building, I mean, you know, there's also this narrative idea that you need to have, you need to have an arc in your book, you're like, you start off one place and you end up in another. And so a bit, having a big challenge at the end of a book is a smart idea from a narrative perspective, right? <laughs> because the reader's like, well, what, if you, where are we going now? If I started with Kilimanjaro, they're like, well, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, you, you tease them with the Kilimanjaro. And then mm -hmm. to, be, to be blunt, I, I had forgotten. I was like, wait a minute, I didn't get to the really, the, the candy. Like we're, and then I, oh, mm. the candy's at the end. Now I get to yeah. Go, yeah. go with Scott Carney up, up the mountain with Wim. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'll, let's get over to the wedge and, and spirit of your time and uh, folks listening to this episode of Sonic Talk. Um, I, I want to just nerd out with you on three, three areas, uh, three, three excerpts from the book, if we can do sure. that. On page 179, um, you, you speak about the metaphor of wolves patrolling the area inside mm. our bodies. Can mm. you touch upon that? I found that sure. Really, yeah. So, really I'm, so I'm talking about the immune system here because there is a really amazing immune benefit to things like the Wim Hof method, to things like saunas and, and anything that you're putting yourself under stress, um, which is if you think about the immune system as um, metaphorically as wolves that are working for you, right? Because they're there. You have these various cells, macrophages, neutrophils, whatever. But they're basically their job is to run around and look for the things that are attacking you, viruses, bacteria, you know, cancer cells, things that are like off. And then they go eat them. <laughs> Macrophage actually literally means big eater in uh, Greek, in Greek, Latin. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I don't know. I think it's probably Latin. Um, so it eats, you know, it's the big eater. It goes and eats the bad things. And so these are, this is, these are, there are billion, millions? There's millions of them. They're running around your body. And, uh, and the problem in the, one of, one of the problems in the modern world is that we have seen a crazy increase in autoimmune illnesses, right? Where you're basically your immune cells, these wolves, 
are not eating the bacteria and the viruses, or maybe they're done, they've finished the bacteria and the viruses, and they're eating you instead. Uh, and that's essentially, in, in my very metaphorical way, is what an autoimmune illness is, whether it's, oh, I used to get canker sores, which are just sort of mouth ulcers, big white painful ulcers, um, Crohn's disease, which is basically canker sores in your intestines, but worse, uh, lupus, arthritis, you know, you name it. Autoimmune illnesses are, are, are booming right now. And it's really probably the first time in a history that it's such an epidemic level of autoimmunity issues. One of the reasons for this is a very clean environment. We live very hygienically. And so those wolves don't have as much stuff to eat, right? So what happens when wolves are around there running, you know, you know, without things to eat, they get bored and they start chewing on you. The other issue is that um, we, when we stress out about the world, right? When we, when we, you know, think about our 401k is declining, when we think about the, 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 the social pressures of the COVID quarantine or whatever, we have these existential problems that we stress out about. And what stress it is, what we evolved to do is to dump stress hormones to direct physical threats. A, a wolf is charging at you. So let's not use a wolf. A lion is charging at you on the plains of Africa. You grab your spear. You dump adrenaline for energy. You dump cortisol for to lower your pain threshold. And you either run or stab that lion and survive. You know that this is this is what we do. But in the modern world, we're using that same archaic system to deal with you know COVID. <laughs> And so we dump adrenaline, dump cortisol, but we don't have a physical output and we can't stab that line. We have not, we're not doing any of that, that energy, but all of our cells, which are now bathed in adrenaline, which are bathed in, in, in uh, cortisol and whatnot, are responding to that. And, and so you, you, you just hopped up these wolves, macrophages, on adrenaline and they're going to start eating things. They're going to start eating you because you're not giving them anything else to do. So what I'm saying is that things like saunas, things, things like the Colt Wim Hof method, various things I do, I do in my book, it's like giving wolves chew toys. It's, it's just something for them to do, you know? It's, it's okay, you're, you're stressing out about COVID, now jump in your sauna, and now you have a physical response that, that sort of placates this, this, this pack of wolves in your body. Beautiful, thank you. <clears throat> uh, page 150. Um, you talk about a gentle seesaw between hot and cold. It exercises the autotomic process. Um, it mm -hmm. creates an overall resilience. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think what I'm talking about here is contrast, right? Is that, is that going from hot to cold triggers things in your body autonomically that you don't really have conscious control over. Like, you know, we have this, your, your um, arterial system has muscles in it, for instance, right? If you look at your hand, if you put your hand in ice water, uh, your hand will get white because the muscles in your arteries have contracted and are shunting um, blood to your core. And this is a survival mechanism that we all have, right? And the only way to trigger that really, you know, there might be some meditative way that you can think it close, but really the only way to do it is to throw your hand into cold water and, and watch that, that thing occur. Now, when we live in an in a environment where we are generally static at 72 degrees, summer or winter, right? We don't have that dynamism in our extremities and in our arterial system. So what environmental conditioning does is it's basically like lifting weights for your vascular system, right? You go, you go to hot and you vasodilate, which means you relax, means those muscles relax. You jump into cold, you vasoconstrict, which means they all flex. 
and that get, makes your arterial system stronger because it's, it's just you know, moving the stuff that you can't do in a gym, right? You could have a guy with a six pack and like really big muscles and whatever, but if he only exercises in, uh, in, in heated gyms in ways where he's always comfortable or she's always comfortable, um, that arterial system never gets exercise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Number three, um, page 161, the wedge is our ability to surf that sensation, <clears throat> redirect our attention away from difficult sensations. Beautiful. Again, another metaphor about like, I, I love that, the, the idea of surfing through that mm -hmm. um, wedge. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'd, yeah, I'd like to know what, what the context is around that line. But, I know, but I'm, really, I'm putting I'm you like, totally on the spot with those, aren't I? These little <laughs> right, actions like, out of the book. All right, it's now, like 80,000 words. I'm like, what the hell was I talking about? That? Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, go, you want to speak or, or I'll just yeah, put it in the context? No, well, I mean, what so, we're doing with sensations <laughs> is we're, dis we're deciding how to use them, right? Because they come in like a flood, right? Because mm -hmm. your peripheral system where, you know, your brain is in a float tank, right? In your head. It's, it's bathing in spinal fluid and it's just hanging out in your head. And the only way it knows anything about the world is, is, is your sensory system sending stuff in through your nerves up through your um, spinal cord and into the lowest levels of the brain. Or, and eyes actually go in a different route. But anyway, it has to come in through the peripheral nerves. And, and when that comes in, I don't know where the mind is, right? I mean, I know where the brain is. I don't know where the mind is. Like part of it is certainly in the brain, but it's could be in other places as well. And this comes in and, and what the mind is, is sort of deciding what sensation means, mm -hmm. right? And, and if it's coming in like a torrent, you know, you can get like, if it was a wave, right? You could get battered by it and just let it just take you wherever it goes. And, and you know, that can be pleasant, that can be really unpleasant. Or you can try, to as best you can take control of those sensations and 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 have your mind use them and that's that's one way to describe the wedge perfect <clears throat> and that um in that surfing uh metaphor was in the chapter um redline which i'd love mm -hmm. for you to speak with um we're, we're getting to that and redline um uh is is about hot and cold and about your experience with with sauna and and i'll just tee the ball up for you uh, about um uh the the pertnicks is that what they're called the pertnicks 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 or something like that yeah in this this yeah. wonderful magic that they were able to do through sensations of essences and and the the venix the 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 treatment that you received about about um, contributing to the wedge so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm teeing well, that up for you go ahead what they were doing so I went to Latvia um you know and they have a, a, a very elaborate sauna tradition not unlike Finland. Uh, and, and there was this group of, of people, Pirtniks, which actually just means guy who owns a sauna, I believe, in Latvia. But, but they, they considered them shamans, themselves shamans. They have this training around it. And what they were doing was essentially using sensory contrasts, whether it's hot and cold, whether it's confusion and um, whatever the opposite of confusion, certainty, whether it's... Um, uh, uh, contrasting strong smells, whether it was hitting you with branches of random stuff. And they're, they're using all of these very strong sensations and then mixing them together while you are under heat stress. And, 
I had I have different words for for what I, what they were doing, but it's essentially like misdirecting your sensory systems. So uh, the ritual started out. We were eating like a weird bread, like a weird but familiar bread made out of like you know, grains, but also pine needles, right? So it's not a bread that you're normally gonna eat, but you try this thing, it's, it's weird, right? I ate pine needles, okay, cool. And you have this weird smell. And then you're in the sauna and they're hitting you with branches of like pine leaves, right? Or, you know, the fronds of pine leaves. So you're experiencing pine in two different ways, mm. three different ways actually. One, as the taste. Two, as the sensation of the branch hitting you. And three is the sound. Now, this is while you're at like 180 degrees or more in the sauna. And as this happens, you're, you're like, well, like the pine is sort of an objective thing. Like you look at a pine tree, you can experience it by seeing it, you can say, hearing it, you know, smelling it, you have all these things. And what my brain was doing under stress was mixing those sensations so that I started smelling sounds hearing sights, um, feeling the pressure as uh, in, in different ways. And my sensory system actually gets um, more dynamic, more, you could say confused, but also dynamic. Um, and, 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 and what a, neuro, a, a neuroscientist will call it would be synesthesia, which is the blending of senses into this new way. So it's a different way to experience things. And the reason why that's important is this sort of biology behind neural symbols is that sensation and emotion bond together mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in who we are and how we make conscious things happen. So if you're, if you're seeing a sound, right? That's an entirely novel sensation. So whatever emotion you're bringing to that is entirely new. You create this new neural symbol in your brain and, and you feel, I felt very refreshed and sort of um, amazing after I left that, that five hour sauna, right? It was a mm. five hour tradition, which is a very long time to be at 180 degrees. I mean, we did do some contrasting cold therapy, you know, in and out, but it was, a, it, it was what should have been a very stressful, difficult, exhausting experience ended up as a rejuvenating one. What I got out of that part was, was very reassuring for me because what, what I brought back from my time in North of Europe was how great sauna is um, as a verb and a noun, meaning it's a, it's a great thing to do, mm. but it's also a great place. Uh, and what the Europeans, the Northern Europeans, the Finns specifically are able to do, and, and the Latvians and, and that and, uh, are cr creating a space of, um, of, of comfort and um, relaxation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you speak about like the essences, um, you know, the essential oils on the rocks or whatever, giving these sensations, you know, and, and I kind of joke that uh, a cold beer is also a wedge. Because when you're, you know, doing the hot and the cold, it doesn't have to be so clinical and and um, uh, and scientific. Uh, you know, laughter is a wedge. Um, the relaxation. And, and these are all elements that make for just something so enjoyable and therapeutic mm -hmm. by extension. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anything you feel is the potential for a wedge, right? You know, you know the, 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 the easiest example that I talk about is like, you know, you feel a sneeze coming on and you can decide whether you want to sneeze or not sneeze, that's the wedge too. I don't know if it's useful, right? I'm, I like sneezing, but you have that control, 
and 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 everything you feel is a, is a is a time to practice this and it makes you more and more human you don't have to do it all the time right and there's no obligation to make put everything under conscious control but we have the ability to put a lot under there if we want to and if not the body is also pretty smart right it can sort of just yeah. work right. on its right, own right. and that's you know it's it's it's, it's being alive is amazing. What a great journey we have and, and, uh, and, you know, keep doing things that make you feel more alive until you die. And then you're done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then you're done. So creating a great sauna vibe in your own backyard is, uh, it, yeah. is, is a wonderful place because it's, it, it is a, a, a big wedge. It's you're, you're mm -hmm. creating this environment to interpret stimuli even, even better. Mm -hmm. So hats off mm -hmm. on that. Um, Real quick, couple more. There's two other little areas. You okay on time? We got a couple more minutes. Got to sort of go pretty soon, unfortunately. Okay, I'll make this one quick. So uh, I wanted to ask. So you, are you still doing Wim Hof pretty pretty regularly? Yeah, every morning. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same. I do the I do the breathing every morning. I do a and I, I take a hot shower and I finish cold. Like you know, I, the, where I am in Denver, it's actually a little difficult to get access to ice baths are a pain in the butt to put together. Uh, and so I don't do it regularly because I don't want to buy ice every five minutes. Um, totally. But I do cold showers. And if I had an ice cold lake like you do, yeah, I'd be in it all the time. It's right just, on. you know, being around environments where you can opportunistically take advantage of it's important. Yeah. But, so so um, we'll finish. Yep. We'll finish on two things. The first is just some nuts and bolts advice for someone who's been doing the Wim Hof method for what, 10 years now? Mm -hmm. about that about that um about that, yeah. what, what do you uh, what would you what would you advise for somebody who's you know been practicing for a while but they're they're having trouble kind of with the uh, ex the, the extension in other words they may be only only able to hold their breath on retention for like a minute or so um you're kind of this person that seems to relish stress <laughs> you know you find you know you're doing all these um extreme events and stuff what do you tell yourself at that moment where you when you feel this need to breathe well um it's funny uh i think one of the problems with the way the wim hof method is taught is this this application that they have going with it and when you first learn uh the wim hof method is you're you know you're like oh my god i'm holding my breath for a really long period of time you have a stopwatch in front of you. you're like oh my god i made it to two minutes can i make it to three and you're looking at this watch and you're like oh i did it i did it and, and, and you're you know you're stressing out like you're, you're pushing yourself um i think and then they then, then i get this question a lot like well how do i go longer like how do i push myself even farther and my answer is universally drop the fucking watch like it, there's no point to have the watch define for you what success is or not. Like I do the Wim Hof breathing every morning and I have no idea what my retentions are. I might only be at a minute for all I know. I mean, but, but you know, maybe I'm at five, somewhere in between probably. And the, the point is, is not to, you know, you don't hold your breath to become a better breath holder, right? Mm -hmm. We're not free divers. And, and in fact, the caveat should be never do the Wim Hof method to dive because you'll die five people have died or seven people have died mm. doing this because mm -hmm. um, it, it'll give you a shallow water blackout. There is a way to free dive and you should go talk to a free diver. We're doing the Wim Hof breathing, uh, breathing and the retention in order to push against different stresses. And, the, and there's three important stresses. The first one is the heavy breathing at first is panic, right? It's your body is simulating a panic attack or heavy exertion or intense joy, but it's like 
highly sympathetic fight or flight responses. And you're pushing against controlling yourself in that. And it's actually not that hard to do. You breathe heavy and then you exhale and then you hold. And at first, it's just sympathetic. It's just sort of parasympathetic. It's just rest and digest. It's very easy. It's actually awesome in the first 30 seconds or so of, a, of the breath hold. And, and you're trying to stay in, para, in, in that parasympathetic, parasympathetic setting. And then as the CO2 levels build up in your lungs, you start feeling anxiety and that and anxiety translates into the urge to breathe. And so what you're, what, now what you're pushing against in this place is you're pushing against the feeling of switching out of parasympathetic. So you're pushing against that. You're trying to say, no, I'm going to stay relaxed. I'm going to stay relaxed. I'm going to stay relaxed. And then there's a switch at some point where you're like, okay, now I'm not relaxed. Now I'm fighting the urge to breathe. And so now you're flipped back into sympathetic um, tone. And so we're just trying to train those three different places to be. And that has nothing to do with time. Like Beautiful. get into your body, you know, and when you're in that, 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 that rest and digest phase, go into your vision, right? Close your eyes and go into whatever you're seeing, go deep and, and try to surf that and distract yourself from the fact that there's this anxiety coming in. And eventually you're going to be in that anxious phase and then push against that as long as you feel you need to. And then let go. Like, I'm not a Nazi about this. Like, you know, if you can't hold your breath for two minutes, I don't care. <laughs> Did you have a good experience at the end? Thank you. Thank you for that. A couple quick questions. Back to sauna. Um, as you think about a day when you're going to sauna, <clears throat> you know, from the anticipation of to, you know, the, the, the flipping of the switch, you know, the, the first round, that first feeling of heat, that first mm -hmm. lolu, which is the water throwing on the, on the rocks. Mm -hmm the first cool down, all the way through the end. Um, is there a moment that sticks out, even when you tuck yourself into bed at night after a, a good long sauna session? If you had to distill it to one moment, what's your favorite through that whole sauna process? Oh, walking in initially. I mean, that's like, like opening the door and going from slow cold into fast heat is the best feeling. And that's what I love more than anything. Cause you know, it's the most pleasurable. It's the, the straight up most warm and welcoming place. Uh, and then, uh, and, and that's for sure. The other thing that's very nice about saunas is if they put, if you're there with another person, you're both under, um, you're both feeling that same pleasure when you first get in. So that sets everything up as a positive feeling, right? Beautiful. And the emotion, you, emotion you've set up is positive. And then, you start talking and you start rapping about whatever it is you're, you're talking, or maybe you're quiet, I don't know. But, but then um, you're also undergoing that stress together. And so it's a communal experience. And you can have actually very, very deep um, personal connections in a sauna. And I think that's really beautiful as well. If and then you start talking nonsense. Like if you're there too long, you're like, I don't want to talk about it anymore, man. We should probably get out or we're going to die. And then <laughs> well, Scott, actually, <laughs> when you say that, that's actually the origins of sauna talk with a few of my buddies. We're like, sauna talk is a different kind of talk. It can get like yeah. the very conceptual crazy talk, almost like drunk talk in a, in a way. And then, you know, I'll, I'll be taking all these notes. And you even saw some of the notes I took about the wedge. Mm -hmm. And, and you get all these weird, these crazy associations like you're on drugs or, or, or a night out partying. And then, you know, I'll look at my notes the next day and I'm like, whoa, where was I going with all that stuff? Mm -hmm. but, but ultimately, yeah, sometimes yeah. They're, they're, they're pretty insightful. Yeah, you know, Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese had a podcast called Truth Barrel. 
for a while because they have a sauna in their backyard. It's one of those barrel saunas. And uh, yeah, and, they, and, and you know, they're doing all their XPT awesome uh, work. And then, and then, but they would actually do the podcast in the sauna um, where people would get loopy and, and say interesting things. Right, right on. If you could sauna with anybody in the world, um, dead or alive, past, present, um, who's the first person that comes to mind for you? Uh, it's such a hard question. Um, you know, what, what is the goal with that? Like, are you trying to get somebody to uh, open up? Are you trying to teach them a lesson? Are you trying to get a lesson? Um, you know, I, 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 I just want to be open with interesting people. Uh, I want to have, have cool connections. And it doesn't really matter how famous they are or, or whatever. It doesn't need to be Jesus or Donald Trump, right? It doesn't need to be, you know, uh, um, yeah, if someone who's open to it and someone who's interested, you know, there's no, there's no, per, you know, this, it's the same question. If you could have a conversation with anyone living or dead, who would it be? Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, man. That right. Like, <laughs> perfect. If, I, it'd be cool. It'd, it'd be cool to meet Neil Armstrong. You know, I know he's dead now, but it would have mm. been cool. Beautiful. Is he dead? I don't know uh, if he's dead. Well, we could get him in the sauna maybe, yeah. uh, but it's a conceptual question. So yeah. Thank you for that. Cool, interesting people. Could not, could not agree more. How about this one? Two more quick ones, I promise, to be done in one minute here. Uh, if you could bring a mobile sauna anywhere in the world and, and, and enjoy sauna, is there a spot that comes to mind in your travels, your well-traveled guy? Um, oh, anywhere where there's a nice, cold uh, bit of water next door. I mean, the, the, the beauty of the sauna is that it's the contrast. So I want to be able to go from hot into cold. And I love oceans. Like, you know, and I, and I like, I like, I like oceans more than lakes. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement here. Oceans. Right so on. it would be on the coast somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so sauna is becoming a much bigger deal in America. Um, what do you think is most misunderstood about sauna? I mean, you've experienced in Latvia in your travels. Wim has one in Poland at the training center that you've mm -hmm. experienced. So, mm -hmm. so you're, and you have one in your backyard. You're no stranger to sauna. As, as you talk with other people, you know, you have this book, uh, this chapter in the book about authentic sauna, the real deal. Mm -hmm. What do you think is most misunderstood about sauna? Oh, you know, it's, it, it, it it's the, the sense of community is what's missing in it. Like in America, it's, it's about um, recovery, right? Mm -hmm. we, we're, we're biohacking mm -hmm. in this sauna. We're doing, we have a goal. And, and, and I don't think a sauna needs a goal. Um, it, I, I don't think we need to take it so seriously uh, in the sense that there's going to be a definite output where I am better at the end of it, you know, and, and, and it's like, you know, sore muscles and you go to a sauna. It's like, that's not the goal for me. It's like, the, it's to have the experience. And I think that's changing a little bit here with, you know, with what you're doing, with what Laird's doing, with what I'm doing. I think there's a, sort of this more um, holistic understanding. But if you go to Finland, if you go to Latvia, it's about community. It's not about heat. Yeah. Thank you. A beautiful spot to finish. It's so great. It's so great, Scott, to have you on Sauna Talk. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I just can't um, recommend these, these two books enough, and I'm looking forward to reading. I'm going in reverse chronology. Actually, I, I got through this one first because mm -hmm. of our connection with Wim, and he's been a guest on Sauna Talk. Um, to, oh, great. Yeah, how about his sauna in, in Poland? It's... Um, Sauna is a big part of Wim's life. I mean, he speaks about it, and oh, yeah. I interviewed him, and we were together. Um, it is the 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 yin and the yang, the hot and, and the cold. But yeah. but but great books. Uh, you are just 
uh, either we are kindred spirits uh, and or you are a great writer because I couldn't put these down. And I think I told Love you it. this when, when you sent me the wedge. Uh, it, it's like sauna for me, like during this COVID time, I, I could sauna every day, but I love it so much. I, I kind of hold back a little bit and I, I sort of have fallen into mm -hmm. a great routine of sauna every other day. And this is how it was when I, uh, was gifted the wedge from you is like, Oh my God, this is so good. And I would, I would force myself to put it down because I could have easily mm -hmm. blown through this in one quick read, but I, I wanted to do nice. it the best justice. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I love that what you're doing too, you know, anything we can do to bring these message out, that's the most important thing. Right on brother. And I hope to see you in person soon. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so Scott. much. Cheers.